Good evening and welcome once again to our Bible study series. Uh, we are continuing along in this Bible study we've entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. Uh, if you are just joining us, we like to always mention that the notes as well as the recordings for all of these are available at our website. That's new-life-ministries.org. And you can find the outline notes as well as the individual recorded sessions there. We are hopefully tonight going to be completing part four. There are seven parts to this series. And we've spent quite a long time here in part four. And just to give a quick recap... We're looking at Israel coming out of Egypt, traveling through the wilderness into Canaan, the promised land. God had a plan for his people. He revealed it to Moses long before any of this began to unfold. He said, I'm going to take them out and I'm going to bring them in. And we're, lo we're looking at three important steps to bringing them out. They had to come out of Pharaoh's bondage, first through the blood of the Passover lamb, secondly by crossing through the waters of the Red Sea, and then thirdly they came to Mount Sinai, and that's where we've been for quite some time. Matter of fact, we've been here for two months, and that's fine. We, we want to spend a lot of time here because they also spent a lot of time at Mount Sinai. It was a very significant part of their journey. And they really haven't gone too far yet. They came out of Egypt, came through the Red Sea, and you'll remember that 50 days after the Feast of Passover is when they come to Mount Sinai. And all of this corresponds very beautifully to the first three experiences that are essential for our salvation. Jesus referred to them in John 3 as being born again, born of water, born of the Spirit. There are other ways that the New Testament uh, represents these. Uh, we often talk about getting saved repentance and faith is the first essential step in salvation, followed by water baptism, followed by baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about two different baptisms. And they were baptized in the Red Sea, and they were also baptized in the cloud we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that cloud of God's glory that was over Mount Sinai and ultimately filled the tabernacle and then traveled with them as they left Mount Sinai. So we've been looking at seven important things that God accomplished at Mount Sinai, and that's why they spent almost one full year camped at Mount Sinai before beginning their journey through the wilderness. 
Let's go through these quickly. Number one, at Mount Sinai, God revealed his law to the people. He took Moses up into the mountain, gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, and he came back down with that law. God entered into a covenant with Israel, not with any other nation. It was only Israel that God entered into this very special covenant relationship. And it began, not in Egypt, not at the Red Sea, but it began here at Mount Sinai. Secondly, we saw that in that covenant, God was bringing Israel into a very intimate relationship with him that is compared to marriage. The Bible actually says that God became a husband to them at Mount Sinai, corresponding to two very important things that we've already studied that take place through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Coming to Mount Sinai is a very clear picture of the New Testament baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, the New Testament says. The whole mountain was covered with smoke and fire. The whole place was shaking and God came down and revealed himself to the people. So, 50 days after Passover is when they came to Mount Sinai. 50 days after Passover is the day of Pentecost. And by no coincidence, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the scriptures say, that's when God poured out his Spirit on 120 disciples who were there following God's instructions to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high, until they received the promised Holy Spirit. A third thing that happened at Mount Sinai that's very significant, God sought for a temple where he could dwell. Let them make me a sanctuary. And that took almost a year for them to complete the construction of that tabernacle. We often refer to it as the tabernacle of Moses or the tabernacle of testimony. And once that tabernacle was completed, God filled the tabernacle with his glory. The cloud of his presence, the cloud of his glory rested upon that tabernacle, and as we'll see a little later tonight, about a month later is when they finally began to move from Mount Sinai. So, he sought for a temple where he could dwell. Fourthly, he revealed his glory to the people, both on the mountain, in the tabernacle, and above that tabernacle. Wherever the tabernacle went, the glory of God was resting upon it, a visible witness or testimony of God's presence with his people. Fifthly, we saw that at Mount Sinai, God numbered the people and organized them by tribes and by families. He appointed leaders in each tribe and basically organized two and a half million people 
who had been slaves for 400 years into a mighty army ready to march. Very interesting how God organized down to every individual. He organized them as to where they would camp, how they would march, what order they would go in, etc. A beautiful picture we saw of the New Testament church, the body of Christ, where you have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You have all kinds of different members, different gifts, different callings, but all organized by God into one body. It says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, God set each member as it pleased him. This is not according to our desires or our design. It's according to the will of God that everybody is organized, united, and arranged into one marching body. Now, last time we looked at point number six. God established a kingdom of priests. Two key words there. We could spend a lot more time on this, but we need to move along. Kingdom and priesthood. Two very important aspects to what God desires to accomplish in our lives through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not only do we each become a temple of God through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we saw in Ephesians 2 that we are united together as one holy temple, one holy habitation for God by the Holy Spirit. And by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, each and every one of us becomes a priest, a royal priest unto God. And we begin to walk and move in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's government. It's his power, it's his authority, and those who would enter the kingdom of God submit to his power and authority, and they begin to move in the will of God. We can't be a part of the kingdom of God if we're not going to do his will. So, Surrendering to God's will is a part of becoming that kingdom of priests. And now finally tonight, we've come to the seventh and the last point of what God accomplished here at Mount Sinai. Now the tabernacle is completed. God has numbered organized all of the people by tribes and placed them in ranks. He has established a priesthood in the midst of the people, and they are finally ready to march. They're ready to leave Mount Sinai. And so if you're following in our notes, we've come to page 55, point, uh, Roman number... Roman numeral, sorry, seven, God prepared his people to march into and possess their promised inheritance. Remember, it's God brought them out 
to take them in. We've only completed half of the process. And sadly, many Christians, when they get saved, they take water baptism, and then they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, maybe they prophesy a few times, they think, hallelujah, I've arrived. No, we haven't arrived, we're about to begin our journey. That's just the initial equipping for us to begin to move into our inheritance. God now wants to take them in to Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, a fruitful land, a wonderful inheritance that God has already prepared for them. Now that he has united them into one mighty army, and God is the captain of that army, he's ready to begin to lead them into the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. And what we're going to see in part five is there's a slight problem of them needing to go through the wilderness. And then in part six, we're going to see there's a slightly bigger problem that there are seven nations occupying the promised land that have to be defeated, they have to be driven out, and the Israelites have to possess the land that those seven nations have been occupying. But God assures them time and again, don't worry about the wilderness, don't worry about the enemies, I am going ahead of you like a devouring fire, and I'm going to take you in to the land that I promised for you. Let's begin in Exodus chapter 23, starting at verse 27 and reading down to verse 31. Exodus 23, 27 to 31. God is speaking to the Israelites, and this is while they are still at Mount Sinai. They haven't gone anywhere yet. But notice the assurance that he gives them before they even begin to march. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. Now, just pause for a minute. It doesn't say anything about what the Israelites need to do. All this talks about is what God has promised and committed to do for them. I will, I will, I will. I will send my terror ahead of you, throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. Before we go any further, if you just stop 
and meditate on those three promises, all they had to do was believe God. That's all they had to do. Just trust God, take Him at His word, and the rest is going to take care of itself. Verse 30. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders. I will establish your borders. From the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Very assuring words. If only they had taken these words to heart and believed them, they were assured of victory and easy entrance into the promised land. Look also at Deuteronomy 9, verses 1 to 3. Hear Israel. That was one of the problems. They had a problem of hearing. Hear Israel. You are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you. That's what we're going to look at in part six. Seven nations. And God's very honest with them. They're greater and stronger than you are. They have large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall. Anakites. You know about them. And I've heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured. Those are good words. But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Now, I'm getting way ahead of myself tonight, but I think we just need to pause right here and reflect on something. Our journey is not going to be an easy one. We're going to run into brick walls. We're going to meet giants. We're going to be face-to-face -face with demons and, and powers and principalities, darkness and wickedness that is far more powerful than we are. That's what God said. They're stronger and greater than you are. But time and again, he reassured them, don't worry about a thing. The Lord your God goes ahead of you like a devouring fire. We should really praise God for promises like that. That whatever battles, whatever mountains, whatever demons or devils or persecutions 
or whatever we're going to have to face, God has already assured us. He says, be assured today, God is the one who goes ahead of you. God is in front of us. He's going to deal with every enemy, every giant, every walled city, every Goliath, whatever it is. God says, I will go ahead of you. And going back to the previous passage, we're going to talk about this more when we actually study these seven nations. God only mentioned three of them in Exodus 23, but we'll, we'll look at the full list later on. I love these words. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. It sounds like it's already a done deal. Just let God send in the hornets, and you won't even have to lift a sword or uh, a spear. These guys are going to run as fast as they can. I don't know if you've ever been chased by hornets. I have. And you will run. Believe you me, you will run fast when hornets are coming after you. God repeatedly assured them, I am going to deal with every enemy, every wall, every obstacle. Just trust me. So as they're leaving Mount Sinai now, after almost one full year, they've seen the glory of God. They've heard God's voice. They know that God is with them. They have a visible witness in the cloud that's resting on top of the tabernacle. And now as they're about to leave Mount Sinai, they should be full of hope, full of faith, absolutely assured they're going to march right in to the promised land and God is going to drive out all these enemies and they are going to possess their inheritance. This, again, corresponds to something very significant that happens when you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know that God is with us. We know that God is in us. We taste the power of God. We experience the power of resurrection. Because Paul says in Romans 8.11, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken. He will give life to your mortal body. We now know that God is with us. We're filled with the power of God. Jesus told them, go wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high, clothed with power. And that's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. They had heard the Lord tell them, wait right here. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive dunamis, dynamite power, dynamic power is going to fill you when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are given 
the full potential, everything we need to enter and inherit the kingdom that God has promised us. We are filled with divine power, and God assures us we are more than conquerors. Every demon, every devil, every power of darkness will be defeated, will be driven out, and we will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom. Now, a scripture we've read numerous times, I want to come back to one more time in John chapter 3. Very important passage. If you haven't done so, I would recommend memorizing it. John chapter 3, from verse 3 to 5, and actually you can go all the way up to verse 8 if you like. John chapter 3, the story of Jesus with Nicodemus. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So, we've talked about this a number of times, but let's go through it one more time. Seeing the kingdom is not the same thing as entering. Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom. Well, we want to go beyond seeing it. We want to enter it. We want to enter the promised land. We want to enter into the kingdom of God. Two further experiences Jesus refers to, born of water, born of the Spirit. Birth represents the beginning of a new life. There's a new life that's imparted to us in water baptism. There's a new life imparted to us through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So now that we're saved, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit, God has filled us with his divine power, and we are assured of a rich welcome into God's eternal kingdom. We have come not to Mount Sinai, but the New Testament tells us we have now come to Mount Zion and to the New Jerusalem, the eternal dwelling place and inheritance for all of the saints of God. Let's look at Second Peter chapter 1, from verse 3 down to 11. Second Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. 
It says, His divine power has given us everything we need. Well, remember, we are filled with God's divine power through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given His very great and precious promises. Now pause here for a minute. Our promised land is basically the promises of God. If we can inherit all of the promises of God, then we have indeed inherited Canaan, the the promised land. So, through God's divine power, He's given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Verse 10, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and, pay close attention to these words, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I long to hear those words, Well done! good and faithful servant, enter in. That's a rich welcome. To be welcomed by God into the eternal kingdom is really what this whole thing is about. And we need His divine power, and we need His promises, great and precious promises that we are now going to inherit through faith and through patience, the Bible says. Let's look at another key passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24. Children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, New Testament believers, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, have come to Mount Zion and to the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain, obviously he's referring to Mount Sinai, you have not come to that mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. All this, of course, is referring back to Exodus. Verse 20. But because, but because they could not bear what was commanded, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. 
The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. That's a pretty good summary of what happened at Mount Sinai. Fire, darkness, loud trumpet blasts, God's audible voice speaking. It was a fearful, fearful time. Even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Verse 22, But you referring to New Testament saints, but you have not come to Mount Sinai. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, through these three experiences, being born again, born of water, born of the Spirit, Jesus said you can now enter the kingdom. Through those experiences, we have not come to Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion. And we've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can learn more about it in the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21 and 22. John, the apostle, was given a guided tour of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. It's called the Bride of Christ. And so what he was really seeing was a vision, a revelation of the eternal inheritance for the Bride of Christ, for the Spirit-baptized church. And we actually become that city. We become the dwelling place of God for all eternity. Now, as we've seen throughout part four, this experience of coming to Mount Sinai, um, it was a very important part of their preparation to enter in to the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey. A number of significant things needed to be addressed at Mount Sinai before they could go in to the Promised Land. Just imagine if they were still two and a half million slaves, everybody doing whatever he or she wanted to do, totally disorganized, uh, it would have been complete and utter confusion. But now, God has organized them, He's placed them in ranks, they're ready to march like a mighty army. And they have God dwelling right in the midst of them. The tabernacle of Moses is there. Whenever they need to move, they take down the tabernacle 
the priests and the Levites carry the poles and the curtains and the furnishings when the cloud stops, indicating it's time to set up camp. Then they set up the entire tabernacle, and there above the tabernacle is the pillar of cloud representing God's presence and God's glory in their midst. After seeing God's glory at Mount Sinai and hearing his voice, they are now assured that God is going to go ahead of them like a devouring fire, and whatever enemy, whatever obstacle comes in their way, God has promised he will take care of it. However, and this prepares us for what we're going to start looking at next time in part five, they take a long detour, a 40-year detour. Didn't need to take that long. We will find that it was actually an 11-day journey into the promised land, but what was supposed to take 11 days took 40 years. They took this long detour before they finally face the seven enemy nations of Canaan that we will study in some detail in part six. Next time, we're going to look at why it took them 40 years. Why this long detour through the wilderness, and what can we as Christians learn from Israel's mistakes? I want us to look in Numbers chapter 10 as we bring all of this to a close tonight, and this will sort of prepare us for what we're going to look at next time. In Numbers chapter 10, this is where we find that after almost a full year of being camped there at Mount Sinai, the Israelites are finally ready to start their journey. Numbers chapter 10, verses 11 to 13. It says, On the twentieth day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. Now, we saw in Exodus 19 and verse 1 that they had arrived at Mount Sinai in the third month of the first year. Third month of the first year after leaving Egypt. And we're told in Exodus 40 that the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. So almost one full year has now passed since the celebration of the Passover in Egypt. 
and the majority of that time they have spent here at Mount Sinai. Finally, the cloud lifts, indicating it's time to take down the tabernacle and get ready to march. And remember last time we saw that it was the priests and the Levites' job to take down the tabernacle, carry all of the different parts of the tabernacle, and then when the cloud rested, indicating it was time to set up camp again, they would put down all of the posts and pillars and curtains and furnishings of the tabernacle. This is an amazing part of Israel's journey. So far, so good. They've come out of Egypt. They've crossed through the Red Sea. Pharaoh and all of his armies are destroyed. Here they've come to Mount Sinai. Uh, they've received the law. Um, they did have some problems while Moses was up in the mountain, but God is still with them. God is still reassuring them, I'm going to take you in to the land of Canaan. Just trust in me. I will go before you. I will destroy all of your enemies, and I will bring you in to that land that I promised Abraham and your fathers. Next time we will look at some of the reasons why it didn't go too well after that. How does an 11-day journey end up taking 40 years? The more important question for you and me, how is it, after such an amazing experience as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how is it that so many of us, so often, we seem to take long detours, we waste a lot of time, and we seem to go round and round and round in circles? How can we avoid the same pitfalls, the same mistakes that the Israelites made? That's what we're going to attempt to look at in part five, when we look at Israel's journey through the wilderness. Let's pray tonight that God would make our journey through the wilderness short, and that we might enter in to the promised land, enter in to the abundant life, enter in to the inheritance that he's promised us, and not, as it says in the Old Testament, go round and round and round the same mountain for almost 40 years. Basically, we have expressions for this, uh, spinning our wheels, going around in circles. And sometimes I think our spiritual life is a little bit like that hamster on the wheel, he just runs round and round and round. I used to have a hamster when I was a kid. And even at night, I would hear the wheel spinning in the dark. Here's the hamster running and running and running and running, and he's going nowhere. 
the wheel just spins and spins and spins, and he keeps running and running and running and running. He's getting lots of exercise, but he's going nowhere. I don't know about you. I want to go somewhere. I don't want to just go round and round and round in circles. I want to enter in to my destiny. I want to possess all that God has promised for me. And so whatever lessons we can learn from Israel's mistakes and apply them to our lives, that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10. We have these bad examples in the Bible to warn us and hopefully to help us not repeat the same mistakes they made. Thank God for the new birth. Thank God for water baptism. Thank God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's yield to God. Let's trust in God. Let's obey God, whatever He tells us through the Holy Spirit. Let's quickly trust Him, obey Him, and surely we will have good success. Let's pray tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this great plan of salvation and redemption that is unfolding to us as we walk with you. And Lord, as we're studying the history of Israel, coming out of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, coming to Mount Sinai, traveling through the desert, and then finally crossing the River Jordan into the land of Canaan, the Promised Land. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten our eyes and our hearts. Give us revelation concerning our journey. Lord Jesus, we want to enter in to the kingdom of God. We don't want to go round and round and round in circles in the desert somewhere. And so, Father God, help us to trust your word and your promises. Help us to yield our lives to the will of God and to the power of the Holy Spirit that you can quickly take us in to all that you have destined and promised for us. Lord, I thank you for each and every one that has joined us tonight for this Bible study, those that may be listening in in the future to the recordings. I pray, O oh God, that by your Holy Spirit, by the power of God that you have filled each and every one of us with, that you would prepare us for that rich welcome into your eternal kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the church of the firstborn, to Jesus Christ, the mediator of a better and a new covenant. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for making us new creations in Christ through these experiences of grace that you have made available to each and every one of us. And now, Father, keep us under your precious blood. Keep us as the apple of your eye. 
Keep us until that day when you return in glory for us. In the meantime, help us to walk with you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to trust and obey. We thank you and we give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.